And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, new VanCast for you. It's been a while. The two of us back together here at Drancer. Uh, we should start by thanking Catherine Blackford and thanking everybody that uh, responded. It, I, I think mm-hmm. it was it was a, a touching episode, and I think it sort of it accomplished what we wanted, and I hope Kat as well. I know she was heartened by all the response uh, that she received on social media. I've uh, messaged her back and forth since uh, that episode was posted. But look, truth be told, and we love to be transparent uh, here at the VanCast, we recorded that episode the same day we recorded the episode with Farhan. So we did two in one day because you took a week off. So really, it's almost been I two did. weeks since we have... It's it's almost been two full weeks since we have recorded a VanCast. Yeah, and you know, the pandemic can be hard to anticipate, right? So I booked a week-long vacation in Tofino. Like I was staying in a treehouse. I had this like nice remote wood cabin in Tofino that I was going to be at. And then two days before the trip, of course, a travel recommendation goes through that we should not leave Vancouver Coastal, uh, which is, of course, the health region, Jeff, that you and I both live in in Vancouver, um, and travel to regions of British Columbia with lower rates of infection. I didn't want to be the guy who's like hiding the zombie bite in the movie. Like, oh, it's nothing. No, I'm fine. <laughs> like, I didn't want to be that guy. So I, we, we, of course, canceled our trip, even though it was just a recommendation. And, you know, had a had a staycation. Like, we did themed days. We had like a date night at home where we sort of moved about the house and drank in various locations. Uh, we had like a spa day. Um, it was not the same as storm watching on Vancouver Island. Uh, but we'll look forward to getting there, you know, when we can. 
Um, but yeah, I probably should have taken that vacation in, in late October. <laughs> you know, that was not my, not my, uh, best sort of anticipatory planning there. Uh, still enjoyed myself. The only, the only thing I really, really regretted was not getting to do a van cast. I missed you, JPAT. Well, and right back at you, but you know, the timing really was good in the sense that it's been almost two full weeks since you and I have recorded here and the biggest story in Canuckville in our absence, was Braden Holtby and those fucking tortoises that got held up at the border. <laughs> and, like, this just it exploded. And, and I guess it just speaks to where we are in the news cycle. Like, stories were written. I think Clay wrote a song. I, th- I think. <laughs> and, and if he didn't, he, he, missed, he missed an opportunity. But... Slow, slow and steady wins the race <laughs> by Clay. Well, <laughs> by Clay Moo. No, I mean, I, I feel like telling people, and this is true, I got a haircut. Like, I, I mentioned that just so I can call this episode the tortoise and the hare. But yeah. the, the, look, I've done some research. This is, again, where we are in the news cycle. Uh, I have found out that all tortoises are turtles, but not all turtles are tortoises. That, oh, really? I didn't know that. That tortoises have more of a domed shell, and they spend mm-hmm. most of their life on land, where turtles, I guess, have adapted, and you can swim with turtles. You can't really swim with tortoises. So, Got it. And the other thing, and if there's one takeaway from this episode of the VanCast, I want the people to know that a group of turtles is called a bale. B-A-L-E. Mm, interesting. A, a bale. A bale of turtles. Uh, Interesting. The, uh, I, you know, it's interesting that Braden Holpe, a goaltender who's, you know, made his career playing behind a run and gun offense, like he's spent very little time behind any type of defensive shell. <laughs> and yet his family is very enthusiastic about the most well defended turtle uh, or the most well defended species, um, you know, on land or water. Uh, I find that fascinating and interesting. I'm glad that ultimately they were able to get those shelled creatures up to Canada because my guess is he's not going to spend a lot of time uh, behind a shell in Vancouver either. Um, And, you know, that'll be an interesting sort of, from a hockey perspective, be an interesting factor that will go a long way in determining how Vancouver performs this season. I just, I love, like, we're going deeper on this than I thought we would, but I did love the use (laughs) of social media that his wife you know, puts out this call, like, does anybody have pull with fish and wildlife? <laughs> like, like, I, 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 I mean, I'll, someone has to. Someone must, I suppose, right? like, like, hey, that's social yeah. media. You throw up a, a flare and you hope that, you know, somebody's there to, to come to your rescue. Uh, but, you know, it had a happy ending that uh, the tortoises are on this side of the border. They're getting acclimatized now. I guess that means the Holpies are on this side of the border, which, you know, look there are still a lot of guys that have to make their way to Vancouver. I know that there are a handful of guys that are here in town and skating and we're all in the holding pattern, right? Like there are no answers right now. Uh, It's Thanksgiving weekend in the States. I think we're expecting that this isn't going to be a good news week as far as COVID is concerned. Uh, People, despite the warnings are, I mean, I've seen the footage from airports all over the U S like it's the busiest travel week of the year in normal times. Uh, This makes me crazy. I know. This makes me so crazy, man. <laughs> it drives me nuts. You're giving me anxiety, and this is my anxiety-free zone, the van cast. The only thing I like to get anxious about is, like, you know, uh, how Montreal's the most underrated of the Canadian teams. <laughs> I got um, to get, get you a therapy tortoise. 
<laughs> you do. Oh my god. I would love a therapy tortoise so badly at this moment. Um no, like, you know, I don't want to dwell on this, but like please everybody recognize that this is not your usual holiday, right? Like please do everything you can at this point. Like the the cavalry is coming. Like we're going to probably have vaccines relatively widely distributed in the spring. Like just just make some sacrifices this winter. It'll help us all get back to normal. Um, it'll help us all sort of resume the things we love to do. And, and for you and me, that's being in an arena. I think for a lot of our listeners, it's the same. Uh, it's being in the bar, watching the Canucks, right? Like with your friends, celebrating, embracing after goals with zero sort of sense uh, of anxiety. Like, let's get there. Let's not do the slow motion car crash thing which is what I feel like we're into. Like what frustrates me so much about this JPAT and about the travel on Thanksgiving is that it's like this winter, the second wave that we're in, it's like we're 10 miles away from a visible cliff rolling downhill in a vehicle that's going two miles per hour without the will to uh, turn left or right just a little bit and avoid going off the fucking cliff. And I just don't want to live in a world where we can't do that and the, the cases spike worst in like late January, like two months from now, which is exactly two and a half, like an incubation period after Christmas and New Year's. And I just think that's where we're going. And I find it fucking infuriating. Anyway, let's get back to hockey. I'm sorry. All right. Well, we talked about Holtby. Hey, as we sit here. Yes. What, what's your sense? Who's going to get more starts for the Canucks this year? Holtby or Demko? Well, look, I am a Braden Holtby skeptic. Like, I'm not... I'm not a big believer in, like, his ability to replace Jacob Markstrom, frankly, right? Like, I think Jacob Markstrom – I saw NHL – the NHL Network had a list oh. that had Jacob Markstrom as the seventh best goaltender in hockey, two yeah. places behind Jordan Binnington. <laughs> and I was just like, what? What were you watching? Like, <laughs> like what are we talking about? Um, so, no, the – I mean, he's also behind Darcy Kemper, which I also don't understand. Like, I don't know if people watch how the Arizona Coyotes and the St. Louis Blues defend versus how the Canucks do. But let me tell you, there's a qualitative difference. Like, holy cow. Anyway, Jacob Markstrom is a top, you know, at least a top 10 goaltender in the sport. I think he's probably on the fringes of being a top five goaltender. He's certainly being paid like that. And, you know... Braden Holtby over the last three years, um, you know, he's kind of been like Eastern Conference Jonathan Quick, uh, had that huge playoff run, obviously, in 2018, but, you know, he's been a well below average goaltender. Now, granted, he's played in a tough defensive system. I, I like that aspect of the acquisition, like of the reasons that I like that the Canucks targeted Braden Holtby as opposed to Anton Hadobin or Thomas Grice is that Hadobin and Grice fare best playing behind teams that lock it down defensively, whereas Holpe has never played behind that type of team. So I think stylistically he made sense as a guy who won't be surprised by the level of activity that he's likely to see behind this Canucks defense core uh, and, and forward group, frankly. So, you know, I like that about it, but I don't think he's, like, hugely likely to provide the Canucks with an above-average save percentage uh, the way Jacob Markstrom was. And because of that, I kind of think they're going to need to lean on Demko a fair bit, um, you know, while probably uh, getting Holpe just enough starts that he 
you know, maintains his appeal to the Seattle Kraken, right? Because with his backloaded structure, like if Holtby is not good this upcoming season um, and he's got that backloaded deal, so he's paid 5.2 or whatever it is in the second year of the contract, like that's going to be a tough deal to move, right? Like that could be a tough deal to move in, in a world where Demko even like Demko doesn't have to do a ton to be a lot more expensive next season. He's got arbitration rights. If he's just average and starts the majority of their games, like he's going to get a big raise. And, you know, I, I do think that maintaining flexibility, like you want to play Holtby enough that you maintain his value as an asset. Um, but I, I think Demko is going to start more games just because I think they're going to need him to. I think he's going to be the better bet to give them the goaltending they need next year. I hear you, and yet, you know, Travis Green has leaned on Jacob Markstrom. He's leaned on that veteran guy. Uh, obviously, he didn't have a choice in the bubble when they had to turn to Demko, and Demko did what he did. And so, you know, I think it's foolish to think that he's going to be able to pick up where he left off <laughs> those three games against Vegas. But, I mean, certainly, <laughs> you know, when you, if you want to leave a lasting impression uh, for the next time that this team convenes, I mean, there is that um, so I, I'm kind of curious. I, I get the feeling it might be more of a 50-50 split, but Holpe would have to hold up his end of the bargain there and be better than he has been these last couple of seasons. When when we talk about, you know, this group convening and we talked about COVID and, you know, I think there was hope that, look, you and I take a little bit of a break from the podcast that we would get back and we would have news and we'd kind of hit the ground running, you know, in the buildup to training camp and have a better idea of when this season is going to start and, and you know, we're all in the dark uh, I assume that work is being done behind the scenes, but who knows? I mean, the two sides have to find some common ground. The league obviously has to figure out scheduling and divisions and all of that kind of stuff. So there's still a ton of hurdles that have to be cleared here. The one thing that I see repeatedly, though, is this sort of this idea of a two-week training camp. And I know that they did that in the summer, but like the last full training camp that we covered in Victoria was four days long, right? Like training camp, I don't think training camp has to be two weeks. Now, if to some people, training camp includes the preseason games, I sort of break those mm -hmm. up. Like to me, there's a camp, you break camp, and then you get into the preseason. But we have seen that for a full season, you know, four days of camp is enough for these guys, and then they get into exhibition games. Like I, I don't know that they need two full weeks of a training camp, even though... Uh, they've been off for a while here, and certainly those seven teams that haven't played since March. I mean, there was this talk of them getting an extended camp. Uh, you know, so we'll, again, we'll see how it all plays yeah, out here. But I don't. I think disagree with you. I disagree with you breaking it up. Like it is training camp lasts throughout the preseason because you've still got the extra bodies, like for support staff, right? Having worked for an NHL team, like for support staff. Training camp is nightmare season. Like, the month of September is the worst <laughs> month for NHL, like, support staffers by a lot. Because you've got 50 bodies at camp, and then you get down to, like, 30, but you've still got 10 extra people to account for. You've got all these obligations in terms of, you know, promoting the season and shooting Jumbotron assets and commercials and, you know, Gino Ojic punching a zombie. And... um you really don't differentiate like until the puck drops on your home opener uh, and whatever celebration you're doing for that, like it's the most stressful month of the year. And so that really colors my perspective on it. I, I kind of think the training camp lasts through the preseason. For me, it's a month long slog um, 
you know, involving a greater number of bodies until you get down to your 23-man roster and get into the rigors of the common season. Uh, like, that to me feels distinct on the inside, and, and I sort of think of it uh, that way from the outside too, especially because of how roster battles and on and on play out. Um, but yeah, I do wonder if we'll have like preseason action. I mean, they're going to have to play some preseason games, but, um, you know, I think a phase two type or a phase three type training camp, uh, you know, you do need some time if you're going to avoid the soft tissue injuries or uh, in the early going. Uh, so I like a two week training camp and I do think they're going to need to stick to like a 2013 style uh, two week camp of that length if they're going to allow players to prepare, you know, as safely as possible for competition. Nah, camp is camp. <laughs> and then, you, then you get into the preseason. I, you know, no, I, no. I, preseason is camp. Preseason no. is camp. For sure it is. For sure it is. It's just not officially camp, but it is. I, it is. Look, I was just going to say that before they <laughs> look, they hit the ground running in the playoffs with one one exhibition game, right? And that was with expanded rosters. We saw Ole Levy get into his first game action as a Vancouver Canuck in that game against Winnipeg. Like they felt that one game was all that was required before they hit the ground running playing playoff games or postseason play-in games, as it were. You know, I, I don't think they need more than three legitimate exhibition games before they start playing for keeps. So, you know, I, I don't think... But on Jay, the other hand, J-Pat, yeah. J-Pat, on the other hand, Travis Green hosted, like, every other day exhibition games. They were just inter-squad ones, yeah, right? Like, so clearly, some, clearly the Canucks didn't feel like they had enough exhibition games because they scheduled their own in the evening, like, had game days uh, three times before the Winnipeg game, right? Like, sure, and that was great. I, like, I, I, that was the right move. They replicated yeah, game action. They did nighttime, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I'm saying that you don't need seven or eight the way you would for, like, the preseason no, as it stands no. now is way too long. And so yeah. I think you could get by. But it's, a, it's for money, three. right? Like, you're, you're not playing payer, you're not paying player salaries yet during the preseason, but you're yeah, folding but you're, those though so you're folding those tickets into season ticket buys so it's like that's just money like that's pure money um uh, a pure business play to play that many preseason games but for real like preparatory um needs like i do think you need three or four uh i do think players want that and i think coaches want to see like guys like yolevi chatfield rathbone like the, those defense hopefuls like i think they want to see those guys play um you know, multiple ex exhibition games, and ideally you'd get them into, like, different scenarios so that, you know, you, you give the final two guys, like, a chance in the spot they'd actually occupy so that you can see and evaluate uh, who's ready for opening night. Damn, we need hockey back. You and I are fighting over uh, the definition <laughs> training of, camp. of training camp. Yes, yeah, it's that's just, what it's come it's to. It's just camp. <laughs> <laughs> what about oh, the God. idea of the taxi squad, though, if... There are issues with Utica being on the other side of the border. The AHL season isn't supposed to start till February. You know, there's going to be this overlap. There is a suggestion again that maybe the Canadian teams, maybe every team uh, gets this taxi squad that they can expand their roster. I know like if there's one thing coaches hate, it's an abundance of bodies on the ice for practice. Like they can't accomplish what they want. Like it doesn't serve anybody to have five goalies on the ice ever you know what I right. mean like so I'm really curious about 
the idea of a taxi squad and who would be on it. And you look at a guy like Di Pietro at this stage of his career, you know, is it better for him to be on a taxi squad, but really not getting much in the way of reps or, you know, do like, you have to have an extra goalie, obviously, in case something happens to one of the two guys that you've got while you're playing. And then, you know, maybe it expands the roster to the point that we're talking about all these battles right now for, you know, the young guys on defense, that maybe it's a way to have a few extra of those guys hanging around during the season. But again, like, do you practice with added bodies or do they skate in a separate group like they did in the summer? You know, I think there are still a lot of things that have to be ironed out to execute a taxi squad to make it work properly. For sure. Well, and seeing how the specific rules work, right? Because would that give a player who's waiver exempt an advantage in terms of being that sixth guy since you could reassign him every right. day and toll daily space, right? Like, we, we, you know, I think for a while the Canucks have expected, like, quietly, that their internal expectation has been that they'd have an expanded roster. Uh, but they don't know what the rules look like. And, and until we know... Like, teams almost can't finish their roster, right? Like, they almost can't finish their yeah. lineups because you kind of want to know what the rules are uh, so that you can figure out some of the cap specifics and take advantage of certain things. And, and there's even suggestions among front office staffers around the league that part of the reason that things have been played so close is so that teams like, you know, the Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens, like big budget clubs, can't, you know, take advantage of those rules the way we know teams like to do to gain a competitive advantage. But I do think in a world where the Eastern Canadian teams all have AHL affiliates playing in Canada and the Western Canadian teams don't, which looks likely, um, you know, it's going to be hard to enforce like the cap system, frankly, right? Like it's going to be hard for the league to come up with rules that provide the Canucks with the reinforcements they need in case of injury and also prevent uh, teams from taking advantage of, you know, rules designed for one purpose to gain an advantage vis-a-vis -vis the salary cap. And, and so it's going to be really interesting to see what that looks like. Uh, I hope we get some clarity soon because I think there's going to be a lot to unpack and a lot of details to get into. It'll provide us with good fodder, J-Pat. Uh, we just need some fucking clarity here. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of the young guys, Harm, uh, <laughs> that wasn't my segue into Harm, <laughs> although it fits, but Harm has written uh, a new piece that's posted at The Athletic about the importance of the next wave of youth. We know sort of the, the chosen ones, obviously, Pedersen and, and Hughes and Besser, and, uh, you know, those guys are all going to be okay. They've already proven that, but Harm, you know, his 
sort of thrust of the piece is that the Canucks' success next season, whenever it begins, is sort of hanging in the balance and will be determined by the growth of that next wave of young guys. And I thought really interesting quote from Jim Benning in there about Adam Gaudet and the fact that Travis Green has uh, furnished him with penalty killing video and they've given him homework assignments here during the offseason so when he's not uh, gaming uh, hopefully he's watching the video that the coaches has sent his way but look I've said for a while that they have to integrate some youth into their penalty killing forward group right now Jay Beagle, Brandon Sutter, Louis Erickson you know they're three oldest forwards hold down the bulk of the penalty killing along with Tyler Mott I like the idea of, you know, for, for Gaudette, it's sort of a pathway to a bigger role on the team, increased ice time, but there are still some flaws in that plan because this guy's a 40% face-off guy for his career, so certainly you can't just be throwing the puck away to start on the penalty kill, but I do at least like the idea of integrating uh, a player like Adam Gaudette and bringing him along if that's a role that he's up to. Yeah, I mean... Long term, the implications here are significant because of the fact that Pedersen and Horvat, despite the way that Horvat's traditionally deployed, are offensively calibrated top six forwards. Like neither of them are guys you want on the penalty kill for different reasons. For Horvat, it's that for some reason he's always struggled in that spot. Like it doesn't make sense, yeah. but Horvat's results on the PK over large samples are just not good. And with Pedersen, you just don't want, like, that guy sells out, like, he wants to do the right thing so badly that if you put him on the penalty kill, he's never going to give up a shot that he can block. And you just don't want the player you're going to be leaning on to, you know, drive offense for you and territorial play at five on five to be blocking 30 extra shots a year, which is exactly what's going to happen if you put him on the penalty kill. So you kind of need to find a third line center who's going to handle the bulk of those sort of duties while not being a guy who should you put in that spot um, serves to punt (laughs) your five on five game, which is kind of what Beagle and Sutter do. So, you know, developing Goddard into that type of player, like they need to know if Goddard can do that because if he can, then You've got this, you know, cost-controlled future third-line center who also scored at a 40-point rate as a 23-year-old, and that's a huge, like, that's a game-changer for the medium-term outlook that this club has. And if he can't, then you're probably looking at a guy who's, you know, maybe a fourth-line high-energy winger who can play PP2 for you, right? Like, that's sort of where Godet might slot into this lineup in the future in the event that he can't be the two-way sort of third line center that they need and that also is significant because if that's the case and you value him that way um, then maybe he's a player you look to move eventually because there's going to be other teams around the league that value him as a top nine center and that's more valuable than a fourth line winger with power play value so I think figuring this out is actually really high leverage not not for the Canucks next season like I would be surprised if Godet plays a ton of penalty kill next season But I think figuring out if he can do it is crucial for the Canucks as they look to build out a contending roster over the next three, four years, entering Hughes and Pedersen's prime and figuring out exactly where Gaudet fits in that puzzle and if he does it all. I do wonder, like, they've got Tanner Pearson, they've got JT Miller that have done some penalty killing for them, but... 
you know, you've got Mott and Beagle who generally start as your penalty killing yep. forwards. You've got Brandon Sutter. Like, I do wonder if Sutter could be the training wheels for Adam Gaudet at times. You know, Sutter can take the face off, but Gaudet can be out there as a penalty killer. Uh, but I do worry, like, you know, I know that there are discussions and debates about the importance of any one face off, but when a guy is a 40%er for his career, like, Jay Beagle, one of the reasons he continues to be a penalty killer at 35 is, you know, he wins 60% of the faceoffs. Say so you win the draw, right. clear the puck. Uh, it certainly makes penalty killing easier. I was looking at it. Gaudet took a, 450 faceoffs last year. There were 115 guys in the NHL that took 450 or more. He was 112th of the 115 in terms of faceoff win percentage. So that just kind of puts into context the, you know, the struggles and, and they're real. I mean, it wasn't just last year, like, oh, it was a bad year for Gaudet. He's a 40% guy for his career to this point. So certainly an area that he has to work on. I'm sure he will continue to work on. You know, Harms Peace talks about him putting on eight pounds. I think he thinks that if he can get stronger, you know, you can just win some faceoffs by brute strength, right? Like an up your percentage yep. that way. So, you know, I've got time for that argument. Uh, we have seen, like, this guy came to training camp. <laughs> We're back to training camp. But but he was. He was the star of the Victoria training camp, right? Like, and into the preseason. Like, he was determined that he was going to win a job. And from day one, where a guy like Jake was banished to the third group, the AHL guys, like, from day one, it was pretty clear that Gaudet meant business. And so, you know, if he can have another offseason like that and show up on the Canucks doorstep again for another camp, my sense is, you know, he's a pretty smart guy that... If he sees this as an opportunity, everybody wants to play more. He wants more ice time. He wants an increased role. I think he would see this as a path to some of that. My sense is that he'll take this on as a challenge. Yeah, no, I, look, it's the the other thing to remember about Gaudet too is how much he's improved year over year, right? Like, yeah. it wasn't yep. just the it wasn't just the counting stats. It was that Gaudet improved from being thrust into a role that he clearly wasn't ready for and. You know, some of the underlying metrics suggested he was one of the worst defensive players and one of the worst defensive forwards in hockey in his rookie year. And then last season, he was a credible NHL level defensive forward, right? Like, that's a huge step. Like, I don't want to understate how big a step that is. That's massive. He showed huge year over year improvement as a two way player. And, you know, perhaps this is the next evolution of that, right? Like, now maybe he can be a reasonably. Uh, effective penalty killing winger and then the next year you know could you project him to be a reasonably effective penalty killing center Uh, I mean we'll see and then the last thing to keep in mind is on the penalty kill everyone loses more draws than they win um, in normal circumstances so it's like if you're a 40 percent guy normally you're going to be even worse than that on the PK and that's because you don't have that extra winger right there's a lot of winger wins on the power play And the other thing is you have to put your stick down first. Like you have to show your opponent your hand before the draw um, when you're taking defensive zone draws. That's a rule that was changed a couple of years ago. And Beagle himself refers to it as like the death rule. I don't know. That's paraphrase. I don't think that's exactly what he calls it. (laughs) But he but he hates that rule because it really took, you know, the element of surprise. Now everyone now he has to show his opponents what they're doing. And for guys like Beagle, like. For guys who are really good at draws in the NHL, who've made that their calling card, like they're at the point, if you talk to Jay about it, he'll talk, he'll talk to you about things like knowing the timing of certain linesmen and how they drop the puck, right? Like he knows every opponent's moves. He knows how linesmen drop it. 
like he has this whole book on winning draws like it's what he does i love that and it's amazing it's it's wild and to get to that level like it requires just such a such a routine such a level of like discipline focus and caring about it you know that it's really hard to get really good at doing it at the nhl level um like those guys are those guys who are who make their living there like they are insanely good at it and so you know it's a big task and a big ask to for for a guy like godet um but you know i think if you can get up into that like 47 48 like you don't have to be a face-off ace you just can't get killed there right. on a, on an every night like it's you know the 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 idea that face-offs and the value of one win is overrated like everyone knows it's important to win a draw on a like late game defensive zone draw when you're holding a one goal lead like no one's quibbling about that the question is does it really matter if you're over the course of a game like going six and nine versus nine and six and for me it doesn't really like overall it probably doesn't matter so long as you know some of your losses are in the neutral zone and on and on what really what really you can't have is going like one for 12 like that's when it starts to show up on the shot (laughs) clock and in terms of you know, so Goddard just, if Goddard can make, he doesn't need to be a 55% guy. Obviously, that would be great. But, you know, being a 45% guy um, or 48% guy, like that would make a huge difference. And especially uh, if he can start to win some draws in that defensive zone and be sort of relied on there. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned he took 450 draws. Is that what you said? Yeah. Right. And only 96 of them or sorry, 92 of them were in the defensive zone last season. So, you know, vast majority of them, um, he was protect, like he only took 25% of his face-offs in the defensive end. Um, So clearly that indicates where, you know, the Canucks think he needs to work on, uh, on winning draws and, and being sort of trusted. And it's clearly in that area of the ice. We thank you, as always, for your support of the VanCast here. If you're looking for other pod options at The Athletic, check out Two Man Advantage. It returns with a new episode. Uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield, who was named this week as the new player development coach for the Chicago Blackhawks, joins the boys at Two Man Advantage. So you may want to check that out. Great hire for the Blackhawks and uh, good to see teams embracing some outside-the-box thinking around the National Hockey League. Now, I, I know I've mentioned this before on previous VanCasts, uh, I'm not sure about you, but I drag you into this discussion regularly, and that's just I, I continually find myself without games right now, thinking like, okay, where were the Canucks this time last year? Like when hockey was actually being played, and this was a significant week for the Vancouver Canucks because it was their longest road trip of the season. We've talked about our barbecue in Dallas. Uh, it included the <laughs> yep. it included the 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 five power play goal night in Nashville. You remember, like, they were five of the ugliest power play goals. But, like, they all count. Yes. And they boost the statistics. But, like, if you just read the box score and Canucks went five for six with the man advantage against the Preds, like, it must have been incredible. And it was, like, pucks just trickling to the front of the net, bouncing off skates, whatever. They went in, but it wasn't like they had the puck on the string and the Preds couldn't touch it. It was just, it really was one of those nights. But it added up to, <laughs> you know, they went five for six. After going three for three against the Predators in their first meeting of the season, that brought like they were eight for nine in, <laughs> on the power play against the. And like, didn't they score? Didn't they score their fir- on their first, first power two. play against the Preds back in Vancouver? Yeah, okay. I, I think maybe so the first so two. At one point, they were like, 
at one point they were like Steve Nash shooting free throws. In yeah, terms I think, of I, think they got it to 10, I think they got it to ten for eleven to start. Oh my the, god! Like, stop taking penalties, Nashville. <laughs> that yeah, seriously. Anyways, oh my god! It you know uh, axe throwing in Nashville. We uh, we had some fun there. Sort of low key. One of the highlights of the season for me though was the train trip. From Washington, right. they played the Saturday game in Washington, and then they moved on to Philadelphia. And you and I boarded the train in D.C. and rode the rails to Philadelphia. It's two hours. And talk about a simple, easy, effective way to get around. Like I loved that train trip. The best. I know the best. That that was that was an awesome week. And then and then of course we ended in Pittsburgh, uh, where the oh, Canucks had on. the meltdown. You ended in Pittsburgh. And then you sent Harmon to yeah, and then you sent Harmon to Edmonton. That trip ended in Edmonton. Yeah, well, I knew I was going to spend a lot of time in Edmonton, Chapin. <laughs> yeah, but you, you said you said we ended we ended in Pittsburgh. No, we didn't. Some of us moved well, on yeah, to we Edmonton. Did. Well, those of us those of us smart enough to to send the young man um, flew home. No, that was a, that was a veteran move. I I have zero qualms with that. Uh, um, the meltdown, and, you know, third Harman, Yeah, the meltdown was unbelievable. And then, and then, of course, they won in Edmonton, and that was the Louis Erickson game. Yes. Now I remember. That was yes. the Louis Erickson bounce-back game. Yeah. Um, Edler got hurt. It was back-to-back against the Oilers because they played. Remember, they ended a six-game road trip on a Saturday in Edmonton and had to play the Oilers on the Sunday at home. They went like So really, it was a seven-game road trip that ended with the back-to-backs, right. and they split with the Oilers. Uh, but yeah, Erickson and, and Edler got hurt in Edmonton. But I think of that, like Evgeny Malkin, when you think of individual performances, like yes, it was a meltdown on the part of the Canucks, and they should have been able to defend uh, a big lead. But Malkin was like a man determined that night. And yes. you know, that's the fun of covering this game and watching this game is when best players in the world step up and do what he did. Like, you do have to tip your cap. Like, he just decided that he wasn't going to take no for an answer. I think it was the eve of U.S. Thanksgiving. He looked hungry and ready to feast, and he certainly did against the <laughs> Vancouver. Actually, it would have been Thanksgiving Day, wasn't it? I think it was Thursday. Anyways, uh, he was terrific. Yeah. So, you know, as much as it was a meltdown, when we frame it from a Canucks perspective, Mulkin was lights out good. Yeah, it was a meltdown, man. Pure meltdown. Go look at those goals again. Go look at those goals again. Some of the defensive coverage on that, brutal. Brutal. Oh god. Like I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the game leader, the one that gave Pittsburgh the lead, and it's like, oh boy, go watch that forward coverage in the defensive zone again. Like, please, please, please go watch that again. That was uh that was a like the Columbus game. Remember the Columbus uh, meltdown later in the well. season? Yes. That was not a meltdown in terms of form. That was a meltdown in terms of, you know, in goal, right? Like that, that those were those were not great chances that were getting past Deming. Um what happened against Pittsburgh as good as Malkin was, like pure meltdown. Pure meltdown, zero qualms about labeling it as such. Uh Malkin was great, the Canucks were worse. All this travel talk. I don't know about you, but like the fact that we're not out on the road right now, like all my loyalty programs continue to email me with like my status. <laughs> and it just like I roll up in a ball and cry. Like the rental car company or the, the hotel right. or like it's like, damn you. Like, oh, I mean, I miss it so much. So uh, I am hopeful that uh, 
the two sides can work things out and that yeah. uh, somehow we get to a point here where we can come up with a plan that uh, allows them to move forward because all I know is every time we record, it just drives on the point that, fuck, I miss hockey. Well, and, and then and then we need them to not start the season in the in a bubble, right? Like, that, yeah. would, be, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, I, I still think that's where we're going to end up. Like, I know that everyone's going to be unhappy about it. It costs a lot of money to do. Players don't want to do it. But in a world where there's 5 million-plus cases in the United States and 60,000-plus active cases in Canada, like... How uh, how can you have the Winnipeg Jets moving about the country considering what's happening in Manitoba, right? Like, how can you have the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames moving about the country into Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal when considering what's happening in Edmonton and in, in Alberta, right? Like, I just don't see, and it's not, and I'm not meaning to sing, sing, single out Manitoba and Alberta. Like, those case rates could spike in Toronto or Vancouver, but how how are you going to send? a team that's not bubbled from an outbreak zone into yeah. a, you know, place like Ottawa where there's fewer infections. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like I don't see how health Canada is going to sign off on that. And so who knows, man, we might end up back in a, a bubble type scenario covering hockey in the winter. Um, you know, at least for a little bit, at least at the start. So I'm really curious to see what this all looks like. I think it's going to be exceedingly challenging logistically um, to play hockey safely in the midst of a second wave in the winter when the seasonal effects of a of a you know coronavirus but a but a respiratory an illness that's transmitted primarily through a respiratory function um you know how it's i just it's going to be really tough to play safely um outside of a bubble format well, it was good to get back at it. Uh, we may not have hockey, but uh, you do have the VanCast people, and we'll continue to uh, push out content. I, I keep, people keep asking, like, how do you guys do it? Like, don't you run out of things to talk about? I think we've just shown here that uh, as long as there are tortoises, uh, we've got things to talk about, <laughs> right? So, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we've got thick shells um, in terms of uh, <laughs> – and also, and also, J-Pat, we don't go fast, right? Like yes. a tortoise, That's like true. a tortoise, we are slow, we are steady, we are resilient, and we take zero breaks. Um, and uh, also, we're unable to cross the border at the moment. So, really, really, just, the the tor- the tortoise was the friends we made along the way. Just feed us lettuce, and away we go. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime. Uh, and we end this way always. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to Vancast on Apple. Let us know what you think. And we should mention as well, and we've said this before, that hockey is going to return at some point. And if you want to be part of the Vancast, if you're a business that's trying to grow, if you want to spread the word about your company, the fact that you're open, uh, whatever the case, if you are a business owner, if you control the first person, First strings of the marketing budget. We'd love to talk to you to partner with the VanCast here uh, and get your word out uh, to a very engaged and loyal audience. And we've got the numbers to prove it. So uh, by all means, reach out. You can find us. Uh, you know where to find us on social media. Uh, we'll get that discussion going. But we would love to partner with you. For Drancer, it's JPAT. As always, thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.